What is it about our relationship with our mother that is so important? Why is it that growing up and even into our adulthood, we often struggle with our parents? This week's guest, Mary Ellen Hacko, shares about her journey with her mother and why she loves her mother unconditionally. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. Welcome back to another week of Signs of the Times Radio. My name is Daniel Kuberek, and this week I have a special guest with me. She's actually one of my good friends. Mary Ellen, how's it going? I'm doing very well, Daniel. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, Mary Ellen, <laughs> you haven't written for us in a little while, but it's good to have you back. Thank uh, you. It's great to be back. This is actually my fourth podcast episode I've done on Signs of the Times Radio. Yeah, you're like one of our regular guests. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Keep having me back. I really enjoy this. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll gladly have you back more often. Great. Now, Mary Ellen, you've had some big life events happen, I think, since the last time we had you on. Yeah. You got married. Had a big name change, yes. Yeah. Gone from Mary Ellen Fairfax to Mary Ellen Hacko, which does make it a little complicated when you're a writer because, like, the tagging of articles and stuff, it's like, who wrote this article? So, anyway, that's been a fun thing to navigate, but we're nearly there, ironing out all the creases and, you know, <laughs> have adopted my new identity. <laughs> so, just in, like, 30 seconds or less, just yeah. give us a quick sketch what happened on your wedding day. Oh, well, two days before our wedding, which was December 29, there was a massive COVID outbreak in Sydney's Northern Beaches, which is where my husband and his whole family live. So, we had to cancel our wedding and then we kind of had a sneaky reception at his workplace. So, they own a watch boutique in the city, which is very nice and pretty, which is very lucky for us because technically you could go to your place of work. So, we kind of avoided all the legal things and managed to get married in the end. But we've had to postpone our reception to actually three weeks from now. So, it's all happening still and it's a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah. You definitely rolled with the punches there and- uh, I, yeah. I can imagine how stressful it was, really. <laughs> now, Mary Ellen, Mother's Day is coming up, so yeah. uh, we're going to be talking you, about you, but we're also going to be talking about your mother. My wonderful mom. Yeah. Now, I actually have the privilege of knowing your mom, and she's yes. a great person. You know, she's a really big fan of you, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for context, we've been friends, what, maybe two, maybe almost three years yeah, now? Yeah, three years. And you used to come to my small group, which I ran at my house every week, and she'd always be like, oh, is Daniel coming? I love Daniel. He's so lovely. And <laughs> wow, I really appreciate that. Because yeah, I, I would spend more time with your mom than any other. <laughs> The other people that were there. I think that's why she liked you so much. Well, her advice is very great. But yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk about your mum a little bit. Obviously, positive things because mm -hmm. she's a, a great person. Mm -hmm. Now, the audience is obviously learning about your mum as we speak, but can you give a little bit of a sketch? What is your mum like? Oh, well, by occupation, she is an occupational therapist and she writes reports for lawyers when people have had workplace injuries. So now it's called an expert witness. With that comes a very analytical brain, very like problem solving, not particularly emotional. My mum has always been sort of the voice of wisdom in my life, not necessarily someone who will comfort me particularly effectively when I'm really upset because I'm a very emotional person. I don't know if I take after my dad like that. I, I don't really know where it comes Your from. Your dad's super emotional? Well, no, I wouldn't call him super emotional, but my mum certainly isn't. So it's come from somewhere else. Okay. <laughs> Other than that, she loves cats. She loves gardening. She works from home. So she's more of an introvert, more of a quiet type, you know, likes movies and just hanging out with her kids, us three girls, than being out and about. Yeah. It's yeah, I have found her. that like in my interactions with your mum, she's very intuitive. Like she's very mm -hmm. yeah, on the point as far as noticing things. Yes, yes. You know, she's sort of one who's prone to being into conspiracies or prone to like reading into people's behavior and drawing out their past history and experiences. So. 
<laughs> yeah. So, what was it like growing up with your mom? Were you always tight with her from a young age? Yeah, look, growing up, we were very, very close. I always said that I was closer with my mum than my dad, which isn't necessarily true, but she always just understood me on a level that no one else really did. And as a child, with all three of us, actually, she was really intentional. And actually, when, when mothers approach me and be like, how do I get my daughters to be as nice as you? Which is lovely, like a lovely compliment or whatever. But I've had this a couple of times in my life, and I always tell them, make sure you spend time with your children before they go to bed or like intentional time just talking to them. And that's what my mum always did growing up. Really? So, yeah, like every single night I couldn't actually fall asleep. It became a bit of a problem unless she really, she put me to bed. So she would spend maybe half an hour with each of us girls just talking about our day and the reasons behind everything that had happened and what we were struggling with and things. So yeah, we were very, very close. Up until I was probably, I'd say, 16, 17, the terrible teens kicked in and I began to have a complex <laughs> relationship with her. You're, you're a bit more rebellious at that time, yeah? A little bit more rebellious, but not because I just became rebellious. I mean, rebellion is never just a thing that happens, you know, it's always a product of something happening much deeper. And yeah, at that age, I went through a difficult period where I had insomnia for probably nearly a year. Really? Yeah. And that stemmed from, looking back now, like massive insecurities and, and, you know, judgment at school and not really fitting in with friends and things. But she wasn't particularly understanding. Like she would give advice and, you know, say, you know, take, you know, boil banana peels and drink that because it's got magnesium or like things, you know, random things like that to try and get me to sleep. But it was never sort of on that emotional level. And I think starting from that and then going through difficulties at school. Like I was a very emotional teenager and she sort of struggled to deal with that being as emotional as I was. And so there was a rift between us at that point and it sort of grew over the years and I became resentful of her in many ways. And then, yeah, it actually, the difficulty probably lasted close to four or five years. Four or five years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is that you're actually the oldest of three sisters. I am. Yes. Right. Which is like, the opposite to me because I'm the youngest of three brothers. <laughs> right, but, of course. And, and I've like I've heard about parenting and like always the first child, which I can't actually relate to because I'm the youngest. Mm -hmm. But did the same thing sort of happen with your other sisters? Strangely, no. And I have got reasons for that. I think being an eldest child, for me, I was always that really high achieving, have to be the best in the class, 98% is a failure sort of yeah. <laughs> person. And because of that, I put a lot of pressure on myself, which is kind of what I go to in, in my article about this. But because I put a lot of pressure on myself, I would, I guess, project things onto her. And so my sisters never faced that. They were sort of more, more easygoing and, and didn't have such a troublesome I guess, later stage of teenage years, yeah. Did you and your mum, like, I'm talking more recently or after you sort of reconciled, did you ever talk about this period, about what went wrong and, like, analyse it, or is it sort of you just <laughs> picked up and moved on afterwards? My mum has this saying that will stick with me for my whole life. And she told me when I got married, she told me years before I got married, she's like, pick your battles and sweep things under the carpet. And now I take that with a grain of salt because I don't think it's always the best advice. <laughs> but I think we have definitely taken that approach. So look, we, we have addressed it and I've brought it up a few times, but more in an analytical sense. It's like, oh, you know, I always used to be mean to you because of X, Y, Z, rather than more of an emotional discussion about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're, you're I like impartial about it. You're not like, oh, you did this or like you're both balanced when it comes to yeah. looking back, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So how did how did you sort of resolve that four or five years of sort of tension as you were a teenager? <laughs> what was the sort of point where you just reconciled again? 
Well, strangely, it was probably a few years ago when I went through a difficult breakup. And I think that relationship sort of drew me away from my parents and sort of like that's a whole nother story. But that was the first point probably two or three years ago when I started to reconcile. But then most, most recently, I think the reconciliation has really finally happened as I've got married and moved out. Mm. <laughs> I think absence makes the heart grow fonder and a little bit of space is always good because a lot of the conflict that I would experience was at home. I'm a neat freak. I'm someone who's very particular and my mum is a lot more easygoing and, and I really respect that about her. She's not anal about things, but because I was, that would create a lot of tension just living at home with five people under the same roof. So just you know, moving away from that has made it a lot easier for us to get along, I think. That's so interesting because <laughs> I've heard this time and time again from people that I know mm. that the moving out is the best thing you can do to repair the best a relationship with your parents. Absolutely. Now, there's obviously nuances. I have friends whose you know parents are in a difficult situation mm. and whether or not they live at home or they move out, it's not going to solve anything. They have mm. no control over it. It's just they have a difficult upbringing. But there are also a lot of situations when those who are living at home and struggling with their parents, moving out is one of those things that can heal that relationship. Yep. Do you think that is because of the distance and the time? Is it because you're not spending every moment in the same household and you're not mm. sort of constantly clashing against each other? Is it because you're not expected to do chores all the time? <laughs> what What is it, do you reckon, specifically? Yeah, I think it's all of those things, but it's also that I've now become a lot more grateful for what she would do for me because you know, being completely frank, at 23, I was still living at home. My mum was still doing at least some of the washing for me. She was still making some of the meals for me. And so having that assistance in day-to-day life, I didn't realise how incredibly helpful that was until now (laughs) having to do all of it myself. So yeah, I think it just gives you a little bit of perspective. And it's probably similar to what happens when you have children yourself. And then you realise, wow, my parents did this for me. Not that I'm there yet. Don't Mm. ask me questions about (laughs) like everyone else is. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting what you're saying because one time I rocked up at this Samoan church in Adelaide and it was on a Mother's Day, actually. Mm. And the pastor there was saying something. And I was a teenager at the time, so this didn't really fully make sense. But he was like, you know, as we grow up, we respect our parents. But then hits this phase in our lives where we think... We know more than our parents. Mm. And then later on, our relationships heal with our parents when we realize we don't. Wow. Did you say that that's a fair comment? That is like mind-blowing, actually, just thinking about that. Yeah. I heard a similar thing, and it's sort of unrelated, but it's interesting, I guess, for listeners in general, that mothers-in-law and daughters can often have a difficult relationship because mothers raise their sons to be the husbands that they never had, and then someone steals them, and so they always kind of resent that person. There's always these weird psychological things that happen behind our consciousness, and I, yeah, I go into that in the article, sort of projection and different things like that. Yeah, I, that's an interesting point. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, because this mother, mother-daughter relationship is so interesting, mm. I don't fully understand it because I'm neither a mother or a daughter, <laughs> but I would like to know, what is it that you feel you really sort of missed out on in those four to five years as you were growing up? What is it that you like you treasured from beforehand or afterwards now that you missed out on in that point of time? Hmm. I think just the wisdom of having gone through experiences. Being an eldest child, one of the things that you do deal with is that you're the first of your siblings to do things, right? So you're the first to go to high school, you're the first to be in a relationship, typically, you know. Um, and so with that comes a lot of pressure and, and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of stress just because you've never seen 
I never really had friends a lot older than me to be mentors in that. So I was always the first. And as I was growing up, my mum would help me through that. She'd say, well, you know, when I was younger, oh, you know, look at this person, they've done it this way. And so it would help me to sort of, you know, navigate that. But when I didn't have that voice of reason, because as you say, I thought I was more intelligent or better or mm. whatever, I tended to make a lot of mistakes getting into bad relationships or pursuing career paths that just weren't really suited for me and, and all kinds of things. So I don't regret it necessarily because I've learned a lot from it, but I think it could have been a much smoother sailing period if I had talked to her more. Mm, that's so interesting. Mm. Now, one of the most interesting things about you, Mary Ellen, is that the topic of mothers, I, I have to bring it up, <laughs> is that you actually spent a number of years as a panelist <laughs> On a TV show with mums as the panelists. Yes. Now, yeah. <laughs> now you're not a mother. <laughs> no, yet. I'm not. I don't know. Maybe someone's going to be listening to this in a few years down the track, and who knows? Mm. But at the moment, you're not, and yet you were a panelist on this mum show where you were surrounded by mums and you were leading in discussions with them about yeah. mum stuff yeah. that probably you don't didn't fully understand or hadn't experienced. No. What did that teach you about oh. motherhood while you were on the show? Wow, that that is such a good. I mean, how many how many hours do you have? <laughs> Was there like a lot of stuff that you had no idea about previously? Do you oh, respect absolutely. mothers now before of it because of it? Yes, the women that I was, you know, co-host, co-panelists with were just incredible, incredible women. And the stories that they would share about marital things or, you know, raising kids. And, oh, it was just insane to think about the complexity of their life. And I thought my life was complex, you know, studying and working part time at the time. Mm. But yeah, I would say I learned a lot about, honestly, I'd say mostly practical things. There was definitely a lot of, yeah, life lessons as well. But things like, you know, oh, if you take breast milk, for example, this is really niche, but if you breast feed at 2am or whatever, like if you pump at 2am and then you feed your baby at 8am, then the milk has like different hormones in it, which will keep the baby awake or asleep. Just things like that, right? (laughs) I'm not explaining it very well. Being around those women at that time in my life when my relationship with my mum wasn't the best was definitely a God thing because he provided me with a lot of wisdom that I didn't get at home with my own mum. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that period. Can't explain it. Don't know why I was a panellist, to be honest. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because that's the first time I actually ever saw about you was that you were a panellist on this TV show. That's and I was like, right, you're a like, cameraman. Yeah. yeah, I was like, that's it's really, she's really young to be a mum, but like, hey, fair enough. Like, you know, each to each their own. <laughs> yeah, I think they wanted me to be the ignorant voice. Like, oh, but what is that? You know, kind of ask the stupid questions, but I'm just not that way inclined anyway. No, I think it was really good because you did <laughs> sort good. of feel that. Yeah. Anyway, it's sort of in your article, going back to the issues you had in that time period Mm. where things were a bit difficult, you really pick up on one thing in your article, which people should totally check it out on our website, signsofthetimes.org.au, which is the issue of ego. Now, Mm. when I think of ego, I think of the dude at the gym last night when I was working out who was just like intensely staring at himself in the mirror. He's just like staring himself down. What is ego really? Would you define it as a view of high self-esteem or what is ego? Mm. We often associate ego with the negative connotation. So like, yeah, the guy at the gym, he's, oh, he's got such a big ego. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it, it's a word we use as a filler in that space. But I mean, Google can explain it better than me. So just like Google the definition of ego. But it's basically the way in which you see yourself and all of the facets of your life that make up your identity. So your ego structure, for, for me, for example, my ego structure consists of, well, I'm a daughter, I'm a wife, I'm a creative, I write for Adventist Record, you know, I 
I, I like doing podcasts, all kinds of things that we can insert into our identity. And so when an external force threatens that identity, that can really shake our ego structure. So if someone says to me, oh, I hate your artwork or oh, I hate your YouTube videos or oh, whatever. That's like, oh, hang on a second. That really interferes with who I am and what I perceive myself to be. So if someone's calling someone else egotistical, mm. um, is that supposed to be a negative sort of a word with <laughs> negative connotations or is that have we got a complete incorrect rap on the idea of ego do you think yeah well unless you're a real spiritual kind of person who you know has rid himself of the ego and all of that all that stuff i'd say we're everyone's egotistical right everyone mm. has an ego structure everyone is self-obsessed you know we're always constantly changing our behavior to be accepted and to try and fit in and, and this kind of thing but Look, I don't think it has to be a negative thing. I think it's important to have an understanding of ego and a healthy sense of ego, but that's where the rubber hits the road because so many people aren't aware of the fact that when they feel threatened or when they feel insecure or when, you know, a lot of mental health issues even stem from this, like too much focus on the ego and who I am and trying to fit in. We just need to sort of let go of that and be like, well, yeah, okay, I have an ego, but that doesn't need to control my life or define me. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, it's interesting how you tie back the idea of ego back to your relationship with your mom. Mm. Now, people who are listening to this, obviously, you know, a lot of them would have gone through their teenage years and are probably further down the track now. Yeah. But it's interesting because the relationship with the parent is something that is resolved not just in the teenage years, it's resolved over a long period of time. Now, there's this mm. one guy I know who I was talking to recently who only resolved his relationship with his mum fairly recently and okay. the dude's like in his late 30s. It's something that like we all have to deal with. Mm. I remember one time I was at Pathfinder's which is like kind of like scouts for those who don't know. And there was a thing that we were doing, which was writing answers in this like little booklet. Like, what's your relationship with your parents? Like, have you like resolved your relationship <laughs> with your parents? It almost seems that for a lot of people, their relationship with their parents is a source of tension yeah. at some points. Now, the stuff you mentioned about ego and identity, how do you think that contributed to the rocky relationship with your mom at those points? Yeah. Well, I'll say two things. The first, I don't actually mention the article, but I think it's worth mentioning, and that mm -hmm. is that ego really plays into the parent-child relationship as well as the child-parent relationship. But parents, when they have children, their children make up part of that ego structure, right? Suddenly, they're a parent. Suddenly, they have a beautiful daughter or son, and that son or daughter is going to grow up and be really successful, and, you know, he, he gets an A in his spelling test or whatever it might be. And so, <laughs> inadvertently, I guess, their ego now exists outside of themselves, and they don't mean to. Like, they only want what's best for their children, mm. most parents, but they can accidentally or unconsciously become controlling and manipulative because they want their children to succeed. But this is like a trick of the universe, right? Because children themselves have their own independent ego and they want to do things separate to their parents after, you know, at a certain age, particularly yeah. as you become a teenager. So that will naturally create rifts and, and issues. So I think parents need to be aware of that as well. Obviously, don't neglect your children, but give them enough space to figure out who they are separate from your ego as well. But in my relationship with my mom, something that I brought up in the article is that for me, a lot of my ego came from being a perfectionist. So I always want, like, <laughs> my mom always tells me the story. When I was about four or five, I, I got all my shoes out of my wardrobe in my room and I lined them up pair by pair down the hallway. So that's sort of my natural inclination to keep things tidy and neat and perfectionist and blah, blah, blah. And so my mom is not like that at all. You know, she doesn't vacuum the house for three weeks and doesn't care kind of thing, which is fine. Like, I, no judgment. I'm sure lots of women, lots of people are like, this but that was a source of tension you know I would get home at after school and and mum wouldn't have dinner ready on time you know it was eight 
8.30 and dinner wasn't ready yet and so I'd get annoyed at her or she didn't sort my socks properly or she didn't do this properly, whatever. And I thought that that was an issue with her, but it was actually an issue with me and my ego structure because her actions threatened my sense of, I guess, ego and security and who I was because it was interrupting my perfectionistic tendencies that I identified with. Do you feel like a lot of the time you'd be sort of not even her fault, you'd be projecting some of the frustration of your adolescent years of figuring things out onto her, even at times when she probably wouldn't fully deserve it, that sort of thing? Absolutely. I think it really peaked in my university years because I blamed my mum for four or five years for choosing the wrong degree because she encouraged me to do law and to pursue something that I, I you know, got the ATAR for. Yeah, okay, go do that, you know, spread your wings and do the hardest thing possible. And like, that's not bad advice. But I blamed her because I felt like she talked me into it, even though she didn't. But mm. I was looking at anyone to blame but myself and my own sort of, yeah, anyway. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So this idea of identity that you explore in your piece, Mm -hmm. the idea of ego, the idea of identity, especially in your formative years, how much do you think, well, how much was it influenced by your parents for you? How much was it influenced by peers, like your friends at school, Mm -hmm. whatever? How much was it informed by external factors? Just to prelude this, I have some friends who we just talked about the generational theory of receiving a lot of our characteristics from our parents and then Mm. they receive a lot of characteristics from their parents and so on and so forth. So, in (laughs) other words, we can, you know, even though we don't know our great-great-grandparents, we might actually share some personality characteristics with them. But also, there's other people that I know who are nothing like their parents. Maybe (laughs) they don't hang out with their parents that much and spend all their time with their mates and that really really informs their personality. Where do these sort of factors that inform one's identity come from? Yeah, it's a, Is well, it where they spend most of their time, do you think? This is a debate that's been going on for years in psychological academia, I guess. It's a nature versus nurture debate, and I guess I can't answer that in general. I think it's debated, right, whether our characteristics mostly come from our blood and our DNA or from our upbringing and the influences that had on us. But I think for me personally, I would attribute most of my identity to to my parents, not just because they were very intentional about giving us a good childhood and talking to us and, you know, creating a healthy family dynamic, but because the decisions that they made, for example, you know, being Christian, they sent us to Christian schools and we went to church every week. And so those decisions, I guess inadvertently for them, but they really influenced my worldview. And so my parents' worldview through my external factors also influenced me. So yeah, I would definitely attribute, I I would thank my parents for, for doing that because I think it's it's made me a good person. Yeah. Do you appreciate your parents being intentional about sharing God with you? Like, I know you mm. as you're a very spiritual person. You see God in a lot of the beauty mm. that's out there, in mm. nature especially, in artwork. Like, your artwork reflects God a lot of the time. <laughs> Thank you. Do you think that you'd attribute that to the way your parents, and in particular your mom, raised you? Yeah, definitely. I think my mum taught me to be very inquisitive and to always look for the deeper meaning in things. And my dad as well, you know, he used to take us on Pathfinder camps and he'd be the one, you know, taking us to the beach on a Saturday afternoon and things like that. So there's definitely co-influence there. And yeah, I guess it's like a little match made in heaven because it does give me this, I I don't want to say unique, like everyone has a unique view on the world, but it gives me my view on the world. Mm. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Now that you've sort of, you're married, you've moved out of home, 
home and you're thinking about eventually down the track, there might be your own family. Mm. What sort of lessons do you think that you will apply once that comes around? What are the parts that you've already <laughs> thought about that you'd be keen to pass on to the next generation as well, far as parenting goes? Two things come to mind, and I guess it relates back to the ego thing and, and what we've already talked about. But the first is that I have made a very conscious decision to not have kids until I feel ready to, <laughs> I guess, make a like, I don't want to call it a sacrifice, but by illustration, you know, I have friends that are my age right now that really want kids and they do anything to have kids. But I sort of, I, I listen to why they want to have kids and it's usually just because, you know, mm. oh, because I want to love something or I want something to love me or everyone else is having kids or whatever. And I never want to be making that decision based on any of those factors. I want to make that decision because I'm ready to like give everything, sacrifice everything and change my life completely for another being who will grow up to be different from me who will grow up to have a completely separate ego from me. And so until I'm ready to recognize that I can't control that child, <laughs> I just have to nurture them and like let them make their own path. Don't have kids. <laughs> but that's not to say I don't want them. I like I will have them eventually. But the other thing as well, I think, is to educate children about their ego. As I was growing up, I derived a lot of my self-worth from being a high achiever and just like I was always kind of like the quote unquote kid that was good at everything, which huge blessing, not complaining. But because I was never, I guess, told that you know, my worth was more than that, that that was just an ego structure that was forming to be more aware of all of that stuff happening as I was growing up. I really, really struggled with that for many years. And it's only just kind of in the last probably 12 months that I've realized that, hey, I am not my achievements and I am not my talents. You know, I am a child of God, first and foremost. That's the only thing that will outlast any of these factors. So yeah, just being intentional about educating my children about the ego and about my ego and how that works, I think yeah. is good. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's crazy. I mean, like, that's one of the most important parts of growing up is realizing the, the good and the bad, acknowledging both and sort of thinking about how you're going to apply it with what you do rather than just sort of ignoring it or pretending it, it didn't happen. So it's yeah. very, it's very wise that you've thought about that. <laughs> now, just as we finish off, Mary Ellen, let's just say your mum is listening to this podcast. I Hopefully hope so. she will be. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say to your mum just for Mother's Day? I just want to thank her for giving me the self-awareness that I do have. I credit all of my ability to think about all these things to my mum. I want to thank her for sticking by my terrible teen years and for continuing to cook for me and wash for me and do all these things when I was capable, but she just did it out of love. Yeah, I love you, mum, very, very much. And I'm glad that we get on a lot better than we used to. (laughs) (laughs) What a sweet note to finish off on. Mary Ellen, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Thank you so much for for being open and honest with us. Really appreciate it as always. And we'll get you on for yet another podcast soon in the future. Thanks so much, Mary Ellen, for joining us today. Thanks, Daniel. It was a lot of fun. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just twenty six dollars for eleven issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.